as we all try to figure out how to build the next business or the business of our dreams or create that freedom that we want, we often think about exactly how we're going to do that. And a lot of us start that kind of thought process and that transition into what we're going to do based on a lifestyle. Well, our guest today is an expert in that, transitioning a lifestyle into monetizable businesses after like a change of scenes, after a change of pace, after making a very radical transition, after almost 30 years, I think he said, of uh, one profession. So hope you enjoy this episode. going to be some great content and tips in here. Make sure to listen to the end. Here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan. And at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AMPM podcast. I'm your host, Tim Jordan, and today, like usual, we're talking about entrepreneurism, which is a word I like to say, but I'm not sure if I could spell. So our guest today started off as a musician and spent, what was it, Kyle, 30 years, you said? No, 10 years, but close 10 years. enough. I, I don't know why I was thinking 30 years. 10 years, I was thinking, man, you don't look old enough for that, <laughs> as a musician and uh, decided to radically change his life into a different lifestyle, a different kind of MO, and he's going to tell us about that, and has since then turned into kind of a titan in digital marketing and content creation and really monetization. Uh, One of the highlights that he's going to get into is building a blog and website with 3 million monthly visitors, which is pretty amazing based on almost a fluke kind of change of lifestyle that uh, that he figured out. So welcome to the podcast, Kyle. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, perfect introduction because it was a fluke for sure. Well, I was afraid I was going to say it was a fluke and you're like, actually, Tim, it was very <laughs> tactical. I'm going to go, oh, crap. Second mistake of the podcast. That's all right, though. So give us kind of the backstory. I know that you were a musician. You were playing the bars and honky tonk scene, so to speak, playing a lot of John Denver and Neil Young. I assume you said folk rock, so I'm going to make a a generalized assessment there. You're right on. Yeah, so I was doing that for about 10 years, uh, from probably about 2005 to 2015. It was my full-time gig. But, you know, towards the end of that 10 years, uh, my wife and I were just feeling slightly uninspired by the, even though it wasn't the traditional nine to five, to us, it felt like the nine to five because playing a gig at the end of the day, whenever you do 200 a year, it's just like clocking in and going to work. So we were seeing on Instagram, people traveling the country. One of our best friends took a one month road trip out West. And one day on a walk, we just said, let's go on a road trip, but let's have it last a year. And we don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to give ourselves a year from this date to hit the road and see what happens. So basically we spent that next year planning our trip, you know, how are we going to have the money to do it? Saving all the money we could buying an RV or a camper. We've never gone camping in our life, but you know, just really trying to figure out what was going to happen during that year of preparation. And one year later we did hit the road. How fun was it trying to figure out how to hook up that, uh, that black water drain the first time? Yeah. You know, I have to admit we did not have black water because what we did was something even more, uh, you know, disturbing possibly, but it was a composting toilet. It was all the rage. So, you know, the green way to do it, but it has its own set of challenges as well. 
So before we keep going your story, are you prepared to be impressed? Oh, yes. I'd love to be. So I am, for those of you that are watching YouTube, you'll notice I'm not in the studio. We had our internet go out in the studio. So for the first time, I'm recording the AMPM podcast from my home office. And I was jokingly talking about Neil Young and those guys, but check this out. Tell me how impressed you are that randomly I could pull up a vinyl LP of Jethro Tull. Oh my gosh. Hey, that's very amazing. I hope you have a player around you somewhere. And look, a little Neil Young live rust. Great album. I've got to be like the youngest guy in the history of e-commerce that listens to Neil Young and Jethro Tull. Well, hey, <laughs> <taste> in music. <laughs> All right. So you figured out that you didn't have to drain a black water tank out of an RV because you're just going to recycle your poop and plant flowers in it. So that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. You know, something like that. <laughs> so but he, so keep then, going. Yeah. So then basically we hit the road and it was amazing. We've tried to see every national park we could in the first six months. And it was just a whirlwind of an adventure in the beginning. But as we got going and we were started to slow down our pace, we started to meet other younger nomads on the road. And they told me, you know what, Kyle, if you have a YouTube channel, you can stay at an RV park for free because you can make a video about it and they'll give you a free place to stay. It's like a, a marketing exchange, you know. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds great. I'd love to stay at an RV park for free. I don't mind making a YouTube channel. Let's see what happens. So we started that channel and we started being able to stay at RV parks for free and making videos about them. And I thought, oh, my life is set. This is amazing. You know, I've made it. So uh, the process continued. We meet more people on the road. They give us more insight. And then we just realize, well, we have this brand going now and we're stumbling and fumbling with it. But all throughout our travels for the first three years, we just really uh, fumbled through creating content. So we had no expertise going into it, uh, no, no experience at all with writing blog posts or making videos. But we finally uh, figured out we need to buckle down and take a few courses and make whatever we're working on a full-time job. And that is how we kind of segued into the three to five million page views a month and uh, just to where it is today. I completely accidentally made it to this point. But also, once we realized the vision, it was a lot of very uh, hard and precise work to make it grow. So, a little bit later in this episode, I really want you to tell us like some great actual advice on, you know, creating content to build trust and to build authority and to create marketing funnels doing that. And also we want to talk about how to optimize that content for Google because the content might not necessarily sit specifically on Google, but we want that to all be attached. But first, let's talk about this like lifestyle as a business because I think that deep down all of us would love to be loving what we do and doing what we love and making money doing what we love. And sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes it is. And I think that there's also the risk of when it becomes a business, it will no longer be what you love, right? Uh, so yeah. tell yeah. us tell us kind of some of the pitfalls. Let's start off with the pitfalls of trying to turn like a hobby, a passion, a lifestyle into a business. And then we'll talk about some of the benefits. So let's start with like some of the biggest mistakes and pitfalls that you encountered. Totally. And I would say, you know, the challenges lie at the very beginning and towards the end of this uh, little chapter of the, my life. The first challenge is that to make this happen, we had to stop working. We had to be a hundred percent inside the lifestyle with traveling. 
and with, you know, exploring this nomadic nature. So whether it's full-time RVing or music or, you know, reading literature, I think one of the biggest challenges up front is that there won't be a monetary payoff for a, a long time, possibly, but you have to be a hundred percent dedicated and a hundred percent certain about it. And at the time when we made this leap, we definitely weren't certain about it becoming a business, but we were certain about it's what we wanted to do. And I think because we followed that, you know, calling, that's why we were able to lead seamlessly into the business because we were a hundred percent passionate about it. So and that delay is scary though, right? Because you're telling yourself, Hey, I'm going to focus on this full time. So you have to stop maybe your other, you know, income, uh, providing activities. Right. And a lot of times I tell people don't quit your full-time job yet. Yeah. Like try like try to double up and get to that point where you're going to make it. But sometimes you have to, it's like crap or get off the pot, right? You got to actually jump out and do it. But it's terrifying because when you don't see the revenue immediately start coming in, at least in my experience, I think this isn't for me. I'm a failure. Like, should I bail out? Should I give up on this? Wondering what's next around the corner, but also we got to prove it to other people. Unfortunately, like we're trying to tell our family and our friends and our peers, we're not idiots for quitting our full-time engineering job and starting a YouTube channel. No, I'm not making any money, but I will. Yeah, like, I mean, Is that a terrifying period? It is. And I think that's what you just said is the struggle of the entrepreneur, especially when it comes to making you know sure your family doesn't think you're crazy. Because you can bet your bottom dollar that our family thought we were crazy for hitting the road and going to this nomadic lifestyle. And there is a balance between not quitting your job and having some, you know, source of income coming in, but also be able to shift your focus. So there's definitely not one size fits all answer, but there does always come this very scary moment where you have to take that leap. And that was definitely a challenge that we felt. Second challenge, though, as you mentioned, too, is kind of towards the end of this chapter where it's like, uh, I loved RVing and I did it for five years full time but I got completely burned out by it and I wanted to live in a house again and I wanted to be like a normal member of society. And then I had to balance how does that um, hold up with this brand that is now making all of my income? How do these two ideas live together now and go forward together? Because I still want to make an income even if I'm not full-time RVing. So I think that's another thing that entrepreneurs face all the time is whenever that passion changes, but the income's there, how do how can you marry those two ideas to have them still move forward, but uh, you know, not lose that passion for life? Yeah, that makes complete sense. So, any other pitfalls with trying to turn that passion into a lifestyle, or you want to jump to some of the benefits? Those those are basically the two pitfalls that we came into. You know, other than the every single day pitfall of worrying if I'm going to make a dollar that day, even on our good days. Uh, but you know, that's entrepreneur to be just basic one hundred and one. So what are some of the benefits? What are some of the things that you shout from the mountaintops about why this is so awesome and so fun to do? Uh, because the community that you build whenever you do something you love is so resonant. It just makes it all worth it because you have now this pack of other people who are like-minded, who share your successes, who share your fears, and you can move together. Whether that's the community of the readers that we have or the community of our fellow creators that are doing the same, you know, daily grind every day. I think whenever you're passionate about what you do, the community will be there no matter what. And that is the key 
key uh, win out of all of this. Yeah. So obviously I think you would do it again if you had a chance, but are there anything that you would do differently? I would do it again, again, for sure. And I want to do it again in other ways that I'm passionate and you're, yes, I have to say there are ways I would do it so different. Going in with some knowledge is the biggest thing. Whenever you're going in blind, you stumble your way through things. But if you find something that works, I do believe it could be replicated. So for every entrepreneur, whenever they find that secret sauce that worked for them one time, I I think that that can be that recipe could be moved over to another venture and be you know recreated. So I would love to uh, do what we did for driving and vibing with another website and not have to go through all the growing pains. So a lot of people will start this kind of process by creating content. And even if they create the best content in the world, it's actually hard to monetize content, right? Like the monetization piece is very hard. I know a lot of people that create phenomenal stuff, but they can't make a living out of it. They can't even make any money at it. So how do you actually take a content concept or a plan or idea and monetize it using that concept of like building trust authority mm-hmm. and then, um, I don't know, kind of, kind of turning that into a funnel, a sales funnel. Totally. One of the, one of the challenges up front for me was always getting in my own way. So I thought I was always writing the content for myself and I really had to learn after many failed attempts that I'm not writing the content for myself. I'm writing it for a community of RVers who want to be inspired to hit the road. And in my case, that that's probably 60 and over, you know, demographic. So over here as like a 35 year old at the time, the content that I was trying to produce for myself wasn't resonating that but with the people that were reading it. So that was like struggle number one. Uh, and then the big thing with building trust is that having the experience in the field as far as whatever it is you're doing uh, and making that aware in the very beginning of the content we're writing without tooting your, our own horns, you know, but saying, look, I spent three months in the Arizona desert this last year, and this is why uh, X, Y, Z, or building up the trust in the beginning of every piece of content by saying, you know, why you have some sort of authority over the area. And then if you do that enough with all your pieces of content, it's going to spread across your website for that trust. And uh, that's, that's the best place to start. But then the second place for me is another uh, seemingly boring place to come from, but it's writing for keywords. If we're writing for keywords, we're going to be showing up where people are searching. And so it's finding the right keywords for that demographic that I have. All right. That makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the fastest way to monetize though? I'm not saying the best, right? Uh, Yeah. All right. Fastest way to monetize. I mean, this is what we're doing. If we're in in the, in the sense of an e-commerce store, I would say the fastest way to monetize is to hit 10 of the biggest keywords in your niche, in your market and nail, uh, two, 10, 1500 article, 1500 word articles about those 10 keywords. And that is going to be the quickest way that Google's going to see, look, this website has authority. We're going to put you on the front, you know, at least even in the beginning, 20, 20 results of Google. And that's going to start trickling down monetization of the, those pieces of content. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. 
Um, if we are creating that stuff, though, which optimization rules do we follow? Because like, we kind of tell me if I'm wrong, but it's almost like we have to pick our champion platform. Right. We have to pick whether it's going to be YouTube, whether it's going to be social media, whether it's going to be a blog, whether it's going to be press releases or syndicated articles or things like that. And my understanding is that all of them have overlap. So even if we're trying to rank a YouTube channel, we're going to use blogs to support it. Right. Even if it's transcribing those YouTube, those YouTube, um, you know, that YouTube audio to create SEO value. But the only purpose for that transcribed blog is just to try to push traffic back to the YouTube channel or if we're blogging the same thing, like we have to have a champion, everything that we do, whether it's YouTube or social media is trying to go back to that blog. Am I right here? Do we have to pick the champion and everybody else is like supporting cast? A hundred percent. We have a couple different champion platforms. I think that you have one champion platform and I hate to say this, but that champion flat platform is Google. So that does mean your site and a YouTube channel, because that falls under the, realm of Google. Just like you said, you need to have that video embedded in a piece of content and that piece of content pointing back to the video embedded. Having social is great. You know, we all have the social that's easy, but the reward is so minimal for the effort put in. And I feel like people get so caught up of whether they should be on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest when the answer is always in the terms of mod- in terms of monetization, Google and YouTube. So are those one and the same? Because they are. Know, since Google owns YouTube. Do the things that we do on Google affect YouTube? We had on our our uh, YouTube channel recently, Private Label Legion. We had a video that like started getting a ton of impressions, and we looked, and it was actually Google search that was leading mm. the traffic to it. It's about Walmart reinstatements, right? So. Mm. Is there a bonus? Like if we're focusing on Google, Google will throw in as a bonus YouTube. Does that happen? Yes. Google is like an animal that loves to be petted. You know, we nurture this animal. We love it. We tell it kind things. We whisper things in its ear. And by, you know, in, in the metaphorical sense, what we're doing is even if it's not our own video, we're embedding YouTube videos into our content just because we want to show Google that we love you. You know, you're a great asset to our team and they always reward whenever you uh, link within their own brands. So what's next? Like, I know you're loving Google. I know you're loving the Google YouTube kind of conglomerate, but if you're thinking about building traffic that's monetizable, what do you think people need to be paying attention to that aren't, you know, if you talk to Gary Vee, he's talking LinkedIn. If you're talking, you know, other people, they're talking, you know, whatever, TikTok. Yeah. What do you think? This is the perfect question because it fills the void that needs to be answered because we can't just rely on Google. To me, the answer is your newsletter. And I feel like the newsletter should be no less than sent out every week. If you have the app availability and content to, I re- highly recommend a daily, daily newsletter. The Wait beauty- a second. Pause. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Google. We're talking about YouTube. We're talking about TikTok. I ask you what people should be focusing on. And you're talking about the method that started 25 years ago, which is a newsletter. Because it's all about community. And whenever we have that newsletter community, there is no gatekeeper standing in our way. But wait, that's not community because there's not, 
like interpersonal communication going on, right? That's right. And you're 100% right about that. But it is community as though I am communing with that reader and we're sending them mm. a personalized message, you know. And while they're not communicating with the rest of our community, that can happen on our website in a forum underneath the blog or it can happen on a, you know, Google, YouTube comments. It is the communing that happens between me and the recipient of that newsletter that really builds that trust day in and day out. I'm actually writing this down. An email list is community because you're communing with the audience and you're doing it in a way that places higher priority on your authority. Ah, uh, yes. Right? So Facebook groups, you know, Reddit posts, all that's great, but you have all these different people talking, which in some ways is good, but then you can also blur the message, right? Mm. You can like get confused as to, or not get confused, but like almost lose focus on what you want to be said. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, because when we're putting this content out on these other platforms, our message might be the first one that they see, but then there is this whole other conversation that's going on below it in the comments section. And when it's something like Reddit, I mean, then it's like you read it for the comments more so than the actual, uh, piece that people are commenting on itself. So I do feel like the message moves so much more whenever there is mass communication going on, like on Facebook or Reddit, you know, or YouTube comments. That's great for the community, but the newsletter is very precise. All right. So talking about Google, I know that you reference in a lot of your content and stuff that you do Google Discover. Yes. And that's something that I'm actually not familiar with. What the heck is Google Discover? All right. Do you have an Android or a, a, a iPhone? I am not in the iCult, so right. I definitely have an Android. So then whenever you go to your Google search on your Android, I'm guessing you see what are called cards. They're just like articles. Is that right? Have you seen those? Yes. So that's what Google calls Google Discover. And it's only available with Google browsers, not Safari. and. That's right. Okay. And so it's more organic on an Android to access Google Discover. You can do it on an Apple through the Google app if you use that to search. But uh, it's a mobile-only feature that Google displays cards, which are articles or YouTube videos, uh, based very precisely on your searching habits. So whatever you're interested in, whatever you search, whatever websites you go to, they'll serve up very niche content based on that. So it's kind of like um, a way that uh, Drive and Vibe in my brand, but also so many smaller brands have the potential to get in front of a massive amount of eyes if it's very niche content. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So is that something that you need to be doing anything specifically for or does it kind of happen by itself? It happens by itself. And honestly, the few things that I would say to do specifically for Discover is don't be afraid to niche down your content to a very, very niche point because there are people that are going to be interested in the very specific thing you're writing about. And it can quite often have to do with whatever products you you're selling. If that's uh, if e-commerce is your, the way, you know, many e-commerce blogs can show up on discover. I think that a lot of people have this misconception that, you have to go for these huge niches and huge topics and huge audiences because there are more people there, but there's more people focusing on them. So even the crazy stuff, like like the cat moms that don't believe in aliens, 
Like that sounds super, super niche, niched, niched down. But the, if there are less people focusing on that, you can still be the authority very easily. I'm speaking of aliens. I met the guy that owns the famous area 51 store right outside of area 51 out West. He's got the 30 foot alien that people take pictures in front of his email list is like 800,000 people. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. amazing. So like, yeah, it's a weird small thing, but like it doesn't take a whole lot to become the absolute authority in that. So your advice would be to focus on these crazy, crazy sub niches and become the authority in a smaller audience and trying to play with all the big dogs and all the other competition and the larger audiences. Right. Yeah. Because honestly they can't even compete with whatever you're offering because you are going to be the expert in that small subject. So uh, I would definitely say don't be afraid to niche it down because Google Discover rewards that and it's going to serve up your content to the exact people who are very interested in it. So it's getting in front of the right eyes as well and not just in front of a million eyes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are some of the Google strategies that you have failed on and Uh, think that people focus on and shouldn't? Well, the Google strategies that I have failed on is not listening to them whenever they say, you know, you have to be a real authority when you write about anything health or finance related. I time and time again have tried to write content about, you know, financial stuff as it pertains to my industry or health stuff as it pertains to my industry. And never once has Google ever rewarded me for that. So I do think it's very important to listen, you know, to Google whenever they tell us, about authority and trust because I can have trust built as far as talking about RVs, but I definitely can't when it comes to, you know, those more important, you know, your life, your money, your health stuff. And do you think that there's a lifespan on this stuff, like on content? So if I'm investing in content and I'm doing well, is it something that I can park and forget or I've got to continuously update? I'm a huge fan of parking and forgetting. I know there are people out there who are advocates of updating every year or every six months or whenever the ranking position drops a few spaces. But to me, I would rather have more content out there of that interests my demographic than I would of just going back and updating old content. I'm a firm believer of writing great content the first time, you know, so if you feel like you have mediocre content, then it's always worth going back and updating it. But you know, If you're confident in what you're putting out, I think just keep putting out more rather than going back and revisiting. Yeah, that makes complete sense. All right. So you went from a musician to a YouTuber, RV liver, uh, planting your own vegetables in your (laughs) own waste compost bin, which I don't know, that just seems weird to me, but you know, to each their own. Um, And now you have turned this ability to create content into a very monetizable method and monetizable lifestyle. Is it something though that will retain value if you stop putting fuel on the fire? And the reason I ask this, like I love that book built to sell, like everything that we build, we should be able to extricate ourselves from. Is this one of those business models where when we stop inputting ourselves or stop like adding additional assets to it, it'll start to dry up? That's a great question. And uh, the answer is yes and no, depending, you know, so we've got to a point where I would answer your question 100% honestly to say if I had to write all the articles, yeah, it then and I stopped the website would cease to happen and make money, you know, it would drastically go down. But what 
we focus on rather than just creating content is building out a team of people who create the content for us, a team of ghostwriters. And if we can build the machine, then we can feed the machine and then we can step away. So I, uh, I learned years, a few years ago that I had to step away because it was overwhelming. And, uh, it's in that place, you have to build the machine then that can sustain it. So without the machine, we definitely would not be able to sustain driving and vibing, but the people who help that, uh, machine run and the team members that are part of it can definitely keep driving and vibing thriving without me having to be creating content every day. I think if someone wants to see a really good example of gaining authority, building content, and then being able to step away from it is the points guy. Ah, yes. Are you familiar with him? So the points guy is a guy that started traveling and writing reviews about his flights and essentially started monetizing massively by, um, you know, following that streamline where people ask like, which airlines are the best? Where are, uh, the best lounges at airports. Where can I sleep at this airport? Um, what's the new seat configuration here? And he started monetizing by selling through affiliate links, uh, travel credit cards. And that's where the majority of his money comes. Like, man, I got an Amex platinum through that guy's link. And I'm sure he's sold hundreds of thousands of those by now, but he's very easy to find online and just go check his social media, check his website, the points guy and see how he's doing that. And what's interesting is, all of the original articles were written by him. Now he doesn't do crap. Yeah. He hires people to just travel around on credit card points, write reviews about flights. And, uh, you know, now he's actually stepped out of the whole system. So it's pretty cool stuff. A hundred percent. And that's, that's the way it has to be. You build the trust and then you build the team and then it, the, then the content runs itself. Absolutely. All right. So is there anything else that we're forgetting to talk about? You've covered a lot of stuff here and I know you haven't gone into like deep, deep detail about Google discoverability, but it at least introduces us to the concept and the opportunity and like helps us understand what else we need to be looking at and maybe gives us direction even on what to not look at. But is there anything else that we're forgetting here? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're forgetting it, but I just to drive the idea home is that I think everyone can benefit by creating a little bit of content that leads people to their site, that builds trust with the people that are part of their site. And then remember to have that content help you get newsletter subscribers. If you do those few things, you're going to be already on the path. Even if you don't even know what you're doing that much, you know, start implementing some of those things. And I think success will only grow greater from those points. Amazing. And if we wanted to find out maybe some more information about what you're doing or how you do it. Do we have a place that we can go and kind of learn from you? Yeah. KyleBrady.com. That's where you can see the conceptual stuff. You know, that's where you can see the Google discover uh, tips and pointers. And then if you want to see the work we're doing in the trenches, it's drivingvibin.com. Drivingvibin, KyleBrady.com. Got it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the episode. Hopefully we'll get some more people headed over to your blogs and checking out your content and learn a little bit. And thank you, uh, thank you for sharing your experience. Because if we didn't have guys like you that have figured some stuff out and were willing to share it, we'd all be in a lot worse shape. So we appreciate that. For those of you that are listening, if you like this, please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And uh, yeah, show us a little love. We sure appreciate that. We'll see you guys on the next episode.